Good morning. God good or what? <laughs> Praise the Lord. The name of this morning's message is Yahweh Nisi. The Lord is my banner. I've been going through the names of God as God leads me. I think one of the reasons he's having me do that is because he wants to take the veil away. He wants to change our perception of how we see him. Even though I've been a believer for like a million and a half years now, <laughs> uh, you fall back into those old mindsets that God is far away. You fall back into those old mindsets of, God, where are you? Where are you in this? I'm not sure I can see you. And especially in the way our Bibles are written, especially in the Old Testament, they cover up God's names with titles. There are titles of honor, absolutely. But when we put titles on something, we can't see the person behind it. And that's what he wants us to see, is who he really is. This morning we're going to be looking at the story of Moses and how he came to the revelation that Yahweh, the up-close and personal God, was a banner to him. And this revelation is found in the story of Israel's first battle after they came out of bondage. What I want us to look for as we look through this story this morning, I want you to see who and what was the enemy. Who and when were they attacked? How did Moses fight this battle? And how did he come to the revelation that Yahweh really is his banner? So what exactly is a banner? What did a banner mean to Moses? A banner is simply a flag or an ensign. It is a means of displaying a symbol of identity. Later on in Exodus, all 12 tribes end up with their own banner, with their name on it. It is the, the, the banner of their tribe. It tells all the other tribes who belongs where. It was a means of identifying them. That's what a banner does. It distinguishes one from another. Their banner says, this is who I am. This is who we are. A banner or a flag is also a symbol or representation of a government, its power, its presence, and its authority in certain territories. Flags are publicly planted after a battle to declare the power, the presence, and the authority of the victor's government. I want you to really let that sink in. When you see a flag, it isn't just, this is the United States of America. That flag represents our government and its power and its authority. That's why it's so important that we understand what flags mean. I'm going to show you a picture this morning of one of the most famous pictures in the history of America when it comes to raising a flag. Look familiar? This is Iwo Jima. This is a picture of five Marines and one Navy corpsman. And they planted this flag on top of an island called Iwo Jima. I'm going to give you some backstory so you know what you're actually looking at. This information came from Wikipedia and various other resources. The Battle of Iwo Jima. This took place between February 19th and March 26, 1945. They were that close to coming to the end. But it was a major battle. And it was a major battle in which U.S. Marines landed on and eventually captured the island of Iwo Jima from the Japanese Imperial Army during World War II. The American invasion, which was called Operation Detachment, had the goal of capturing the entire island, including three Japanese-controlled airfields, to provide staging areas for attacks on the Japanese mainland. This five-week battle comprised some of the fiercest and bloodiest fighting of the, the war in the Pacific. There were approximately 40,000 Marines on the surrounding beachheads that day. This was day five 
out of 36. It had been a quiet day in regards to gunfire. The Marines were ordered to take the flag to the top of the mountain and raise it. When the Marines and airmen and sailors who were watching them saw them climb to the top of the mountain and plant the national colors, all of the military that was there, Navy, Marine, Army, all of them were there. And when they saw that flag go up, there arose such a loud cheer. <laughs> the people on the ship started honking their horns because they saw, they saw, we're here. My government's here. We're taking this island. We have dominion. We're not backing down. We're going to win. And when all of those people saw that flag raised, so did their faith. So did their confidence. You raise your flag, you are declaring victory. It was day five out of 36. They had quite a bit to go, but they declared victory before they ever set foot on that mountain. The men who raised the flag found themselves under fire from the Japanese troops because when you raise a flag, not only does your side see it, <laughs> the enemy sees it too. And that's important. Yes, it drew some fire, but it also sent a message. We're here to stay, and you can't make us leave. That's the power of a banner. That's the power of a flag. The Americans raised the flag before the battle was over. And so it is with us in our walk with Christ. We need to declare the victory even if we don't see it with our physical eyes. We need to declare the fact that we have a government and a power and a dominion that is much greater than anything we can see or manufacture by ourselves. The truth is, as believers, we will never walk into or apprehend in the natural realm something we haven't already seen as completely accomplished in the spiritual realm. Our victory in Christ over all the power of the enemy has to become more real to us than what we're facing in the natural. That means I have to know healing is bigger than whatever's ailing me. I have to know that provision is bigger than what my checkbook says. I have to know that the victory is mine before I even start fighting. And I have to start fighting knowing I'm going to win. In this particular case, those Marines raised the national flag. They declared the power, presence, and authority of America for all. And it brought faith and hope and encouragement. It let everyone know that we had a dominant presence in that area and that we had all the provisions, I love this part, that we had all the provisions for complete and utter victory. We were on the ground, we were on the sea, <laughs> and we were in the air. We were there. America was there in full force. How much greater is Jesus Christ in our lives in full force? Does he not have provisions on the sea and on the ground and in the air? The answer is yes, he does, and it's available for us. We, Americans, were declaring ourselves winners. We were taking ground, and we were not alone. We had all the resources at hand. We had all the power we needed to win the battle. We had all the power. We have to understand, we already have all the power. Before we even begin, we have all the power and all the provision to make victory a reality in our life. What this flag did was it changed the heart of the soldiers. It put faith in the soldiers that belong to America, and it put fear in the heart of the enemy. That's a banner. For the Americans, it reassured the soldier that it was not all up to him. How many times do we think, I'm fighting this battle by myself? No, 
We are never alone, and we never fight alone. We're not expected to win the war in our own strength. Christ has already won the war, but he asks us to finish the battle. It enables a soldier to declare the victory based on his government's resources. Like this building we looked at, we don't have the resources in the natural, but we are not limited to what we have in the natural. God has a plan, and if this is the place he has for us, God has provision. This is a good way to look at a banner. And since we're going to look at the banner of Yahweh this morning, the same concepts apply. What I like about this also is that the government here with the United States of America, America has a reputation of winning. <laughs> America has a reputation of winning and rescuing those who are oppressed. How much more our Jesus? What is it that we stand up for? Home of the free, land of the brave. And how much more our Jesus has he given us both of those things? To make us brave, we sang it this morning, and to set us free and keep us free. Amen? The American flag is to Americans what the cross is to the Christian. That's why I wanted to show it to you. Everyone can look at this and we go, yeah, I get it. But not everyone gets it when they look at the cross. That the cross represents the power, the presence, and the authority of the Almighty God. As the cross is to us, guess what the rod of Moses was to him? The same thing. And that's why it's called his banner, his staff. It was a symbol of the government he represented and its resources. Moses got the revelation that God himself was the banner. God himself was the victory. You see, that's what this banner does. That's what a flag declares. Victory, freedom, wholeness. We're going to look at the story of Moses' first battle. It's in Exodus 17, starting with verse 8. I'm using the names of God version because I want you to see the names. The Amalekites fought Israel at Rephidim. Moses said to Joshua, Choose some of our men, then fight the Amalekites. Tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill, and I will hold in my hand the staff Elohim, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, told me to take along. Joshua did as Moses told him and fought the Amalekites, while Moses, Aaron, and Hur went to the top of the hill. As long as Moses held up his hands, Israel would win. But as soon as he put his hands down, the Amalekites would start to win. Eventually, Moses' hands felt heavy, so Aaron and Hur took a rock, put it under him, and he sat on it. Aaron held up one hand, and Hur held up the other. His hands remained steady until sunset. And so, Joshua defeated the Amalekite army in battle. Yahweh said to Moses, Write this reminder on a scroll, and make sure that Joshua hears it too. I will completely erase any memory of the Amalekites from the earth. Moses built an altar and called it Yahweh Nisi. He said, because a hand was lifted against Yah's throne, Yahweh will be at war against the Amalekites from one generation to the next. That's the story. The Amalekites, who are they? And why are they picking a fight with the Israelites? And why is God so intent on their extinction? There are two theories about the Amalekites. One is natural and one is supernatural. The Amalekites come from the lineage of Esau, who sold his birthright for a bowl of stew. Esau hated his brother because Jacob stole the blessing. And that hatred continued on from generation to generation. Part of the lineage came to the Amalekites. So the Amalekites, supposedly in the natural, this has all happened, they became mean and jealous 
and vicious and bullies bent on destroying Israel. Now there's also a supernatural theory, and that's that the Amalekites were part of a lineage called the Nephilim. In Genesis 6-4 it says this, there were giants in the earth in those days, and also after that, when the sons of God came in unto the daughters of men, and they bare children to them. The same became mighty men, which were of old, men of renown. Some scholars, when they see the Genesis 6 passage, think of it only in terms of what is natural. But there's a second theory, that these sons of God were not the sons of Esau, but were in fact angels, fallen angels, who came in unto women and had children. So these people groups no longer had and bore the image of the Creator, the one true and living God, but bore the image of a fallen angel. They were sort of what you would call half-human. It doesn't really make any difference to me which one you choose. If you're comfortable with the natural explanation, that works for me. If you like the supernatural explanation, that works for me too. And I'll tell you why I choose the second one. God is intent on destroying their lineage. God loves humanity. Okay? So many people say, how can a loving God destroy entire people groups, even infants? Because the Amalekites had a curse on them. God said, destroy them. Everything they own, destroy it. Why? Why would God pick on a certain people group? Well, what if that certain people group weren't completely human? What if what they were were demonic entities in human form? That makes more sense to me that God says that bloodline needs to be exterminated because it bears an image of demonic personality, not the image of the Creator God. That makes more sense to me. Whichever one you like, the truth is they hated Israel. They hated Israel with a passion and wanted to destroy them. Now, the truth that I want you to see out of this is that at the root of every attack in your life, there's a spiritual entity. Whether it's sickness, disease, poverty, marriage problems, there is a demonic activity involved in that. Now you might say, oh, I'm not sure I buy that. You know what? I didn't either. Um, I mean, since like what, a cold, how can a cold have demonic implications? How does that work? It's a virus. Well, is it under the blessing of God or is it under the curse of the darkness? You see, it's just a cold, right? You just take cold medicine. Or is that all there is? If it comes under the heading of darkness, of the curse, that means the root of it is from the enemy. If it's in the blessing, then the root of it is Christ. It's a matter of how you see. You see, if I think it's okay for me to have a cold, am I going to stand against it? No, I'll just handle it naturally. And then I'll probably have a cold every year. Because <laughs> I don't recognize there's more to this natural attack than just a natural attack. That there is, in fact, a darkness that's at work, trying to take away what belongs to me. What belongs to me, what belongs to my flag, is health. <laughs> my government, my authority says, my land of promise includes health and healing. So if we're not walking in that, we have to say, why aren't I walking in that? Because at the root of every problem, there is a spiritual root. If Satan can make us think we don't need to employ spiritual weapons, like worship, praying in the Spirit, 
feeding on the Word of God, keeping the Word of God in front of our eyes, keeping the Word of God inside our mouth, declaring the truth of what God says is true, then Satan's job becomes much easier. You see, he can come at you like a roaring lion, or he can come at you like a sneaky snake. <laughs> if he comes at you like a roaring lion, you're more likely to go, Oh, the enemy! But if he's just a sneaky snake, just avoid him. We don't think he's a real threat. He's always a real threat because he's trying to take what belongs to you. In verse 8, the Amalekites fought Israel at Rephidim. And Moses said to Joshua, take some of our men and then fight the Amalekites. Tomorrow I will stand on top of a hill and I will hold my hand the staff Elohim told me to take. Up until this point, Israel had not had any battles. In fact, they've only been out of slavery a couple of weeks, maybe a couple of months. They're in the process of learning who God is. They had spent 400 years being a slave. Now you can take the slave out of the Egypt, but it doesn't mean you've got the Egypt out of the slave. And that was part of what God was doing, trying to renew their mind to who they are in his economy. And that's what he was trying to teach. This is who I am. What he's done in this brief period of time is he has rained food down from heaven. <laughs> he has sent quail for dinner. <laughs> he has told them, I am Yahweh Rapha. I am healing. He has been showing them, look, you can trust me. I will take care of you. It's who I am. I am Jehovah Jireh. I am Yahweh Yira. So he's trying to teach them. They just keep grumbling and complaining, but he's patient. He wants them to know who he really is, that he's trustworthy. They did not have to fight their way out of Egypt. They didn't have to do anything but walk. <laughs> okay? Them leaving Egypt is a picture of salvation. We didn't participate in it in any way. Jesus bought and paid for salvation. All we do is receive it. We walk out of the power of the enemy because Jesus has supplied all of it. That's what has happened with the Israelites. They have received, in a sense, salvation the deliverance from all evil, from their captors. They have freedom. God's leading them to learn how to walk in that freedom. They're not very good at it yet. Okay, They keep making the same mistakes over and over. But they didn't have to fight for anything. They didn't have to work for their salvation. It was a free gift. In Exodus 14, verse 13, it says this, Moses said to the people, Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, Yahweh. He will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you will never see again. The Lord, Yahweh, will fight for you. You only have to be silent. That's all they had to do, is just go along. <laughs> it was all given to them, no fighting. And sometimes we think that that reality, that truth of our salvation, continues on that way. That because Jesus did it all, we don't have to do anything at all. <laughs> that he'll just... Take care of me. It becomes sovereignty, where whatever happens is God's will to lie from the pit of hell. God is not in control of everything. If he were, it would be heaven. <laughs> That's the point. God wants heaven on earth. But how does he get it here? Through us. Okay, so everything that happens is not God's will. Sin is never God's will. If God had his way, there would be no sin. 
and he went through all of the trouble to come and die on the cross to extinguish the power of sin so that he could get heaven here on earth. God has a much better plan than Satan. So the first time they left is a picture of salvation. They just had to go along. I like this. In verse 15 of Exodus 14, same story where the Lord says, I'm doing all the fighting. You just stand there. (laughs) Just walk. He says, why do you cry out to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward. See, they came to the Red Sea, and Moses is like, okay, now what? (laughs) Okay, I let them out, but there's this big Red Sea here. Now what, God? And so Moses is crying out to God, and probably the people are crying out to Moses, going, okay, what's the plan now? I love what God says. Why are you crying? Did you not just see what I did? (laughs) Did you forget that quickly? You just walked out of Egypt. (laughs) Stop crying and go forward. Go forward? Well, there's water in the way. See, we think God should move the water, and then we should walk. God says, "Uh uh-uh. See that water? Step in it. (laughs) Start taking dominion. You have authority on this earth because you have a physical body. You've got to put feet to your faith. You've got to step out. And then the water moves. The water didn't move first. So often we're waiting for the water to move and God says, stop crying and move. Do something. Act on your faith. Verse 16 says, lift up your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it, that the people of Israel may go through on dry ground. You see, they got their feet wet, but then he made the way easy. It was faith that parted those waters. It was faith. I love it because he lifts the staff after they're in the water, the banner, the flag for all to see, the power, the presence, and the authority of God. All of the Israelites knew that this rod, this banner, was responsible for all the plagues in Israel that defeated all the false gods of Israel. They knew this was the rod of God. So when he lifted that rod, when he lifted that banner, when he lifted that flag, it's like, oh yeah, I forgot. (laughs) The power, the presence, the authority, we can do this. That's the rod of God. That was the banner, if you will, of Yahweh. Now, because of this experience, Moses knows that when he lifts his banner, when he lifts his rod, there is a release of power. Now, just prior to the incident that we're actually looking at, where they're coming against the Amalekites, just prior to that, in the same chapter, is the event of Moses smiting the rock. What I like about it is the Israelites, once again, ran out of water, and so they're crying and grumbling and complaining. (laughs) And God is merciful and kind. And Moses says, what do I do with these people? They're ready to stone me. And God says, this is the plan. Behold, go out tomorrow before the elders, taking with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile, and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and the water shall come out of it, and the people will drink. God was painting pictures of salvation, constantly painting pictures of salvation, constantly painting pictures of who Christ is in the Old Testament. 
And one of those pictures is that Christ is the rock that was smitten. In 1 Corinthians 10, it says this, And did all drink the same spiritual drink, or they drank of the spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. God had them prophetically acting out things all the time. I love this. I never really saw it this way before, but God says, I'm going to stand before you, before the rock. So there's Moses, there's probably a pillar of cloud, because that's how he showed up. Pillar of cloud by day, a pillar of fire by night. So when he says, I'm going to stand before you, how would he know he was there if he wasn't there in some kind of manifest way? So you have Moses, a cloud, and a rock. And he says, I want you to take the rod, and I want you to smite the rock, and out will come water. Water is almost always indicative of the Holy Spirit. So here we have a picture in the Old Testament of God the Father present with Christ on the cross, and out of that death will come life and life more abundantly. He's painting the pictures and having them to prophetically act out what will be. Okay, now he said, take elders with you. Everybody got to see this. They know that the rod of God releases the power of God. Every need was met. Food, water, protection, every need was met. He was always using his rod. So Moses is at least learning. Even if the people haven't learned yet, Moses is at least learning. What happens is the Amalekites begin to attack. They attack the youngest, the weakest, the oldest, the slowest. Who is Satan looking to devour? The ones who are weak. The ones who are left behind. The ones who can't keep up. The ones who, for whatever reason, see themselves as weak. That's who the Amalekites represent, Satan and his power. So, But Moses is learning that if I lift up my banner, the power of God is released. It was on the heels of the great demonstration of the water being released which is a picture of God's grace and mercy, that's when the enemy started to attack. See, the Amalekites were looking for who was weak. But guess who can become weak? Those who've just had a great victory. And so in this great victory, they've just seen the power of God released, and it's in those moments we can get lax. We can think we had something to do with it. That somehow we had some participation in the victory, as far as credit goes, and we don't. We have a participation, but it's not the credit. The truth is, the enemy is hoping we don't know the power of the cross. The Amalekites were hoping the Israelites didn't know the power that they had, and so they were attacking. The enemy always wants to take our eyes off of the banner, off of the cross, and get us to look at his banner, His banner is darkness, death, defeat, destruction. How many Christians do you know that that's all that comes out of their mouth? Oh, woe is me. I have nothing. I don't know how God's going to do anything. What are they looking at? They're looking at the wrong banner. (laughs) They're looking at the wrong flag. They're looking at the wrong government. We have to look at the one who wins all the time, all the time, all the time. Jesus wins all the time. Why? Because he's already won. So we have to keep our eyes on the right banner. They didn't keep their eyes on the right banner. They were looking at the Amalekites, of course, and the lack of water, and they're always looking at the wrong banner. So, but Moses has learned. Moses has learned. Okay. He doesn't even pray about this. I love that. You see, he prayed before about the water and the rock. 
What do I do, God? God gives him a plan. Now he's learned he has power and authority. He didn't even pray about it. Did he have to pray about it? The enemy's attacking. Do you have to pray about it? (laughs) About fighting? (laughs) No. It's your responsibility. You have the power, the presence, and the authority. Take care of the enemy. He does. He says, I'm going to go up to a high place. What about our picture? Why did they plant the flag on a high mountain? For everyone to see. For everyone to see. Enemy and soldier. Enemy and citizen. He wanted everyone to see. In those days, they actually believed God resided, his presence resided on high mountains in particular. So he goes to a high place. One of the reasons I like that is because, well, first of all, he's declaring the victory. When you lift your banner, you're declaring your victory. Let me tell you, you've got banners. Everyone here has at least two. You know where they are? Right here. (laughs) This is declaring victory. This is declaring Jesus Christ. This is saying, I'm holding up the banner of Jesus Christ. I know the victory belongs to me. You have a banner. Moses knew that he had power and authority because he had the staff. We have power and authority because we have the cross. So when we lift our banner, we're representing the Lord Jesus Christ and his finished work. In James 4, it says this, James 4, 7, Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. To flee, the word there is to be vanquished, to be conquered. God says, all you really got to do when it comes to salvation, submit. Submit. And all the benefits of your government, the power, presence, and authority become yours in Christ. But then there's that second part, (laughs) the resisting. Like the Amalekites, Satan's going to come and try to pick off. He's going to come in like a sneaky snake sometimes, but he's going to come in like a roaring lion and others. The Amalekites were giants. They weren't normal-sized, and they were bullies. They picked on the weak. Okay, now you think about a giant. My husband is about six foot. Multiply him by two or three times. That's how big these people were. We don't get that from the story. You have to know the lineage to know what it is they're looking at. Now imagine you're looking at an army of giants. If you think you're going to overcome in the natural, if you think you have to come up with the power and the presence and the resources yourself, are you going to take on that fight? I know some of you here, you have giants. (laughs) And they keep telling you, I'm big, I'm scary. Run for the hills. No. We have the supernatural power of Almighty God. We can raise our banner. We can call all the armies of heaven to come to our aid. The Amalekites were big bullies. That's all they were. They were looking for people. They were looking for people who thought they were zeros. Satan doesn't want to pick a fight with somebody who knows they're a hero, that they're the winner. Because he's not interested in being defeated. He's looking for those who will not look to the cross, who will look to themselves, who will look to the natural flesh to accomplish things. Galatians 6, 9 says this, Let us not grow weary in doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. In particular, I want us to look at that in terms of resisting. So many times we start out good. Here comes a cold. No, I'm not going to get sick. I'm not going to do it. (laughs) And then the chills start, and the headache starts, and you go, I'm sick, I'm going to bed. What happened? I gave up. I didn't stand. 
I didn't bring salvation that I have into force. I didn't enforce what I have. Sometimes it's just easier to give up. (laughs) Don't give up. He says, if you don't give up, you will win. You can't help but win. Why? Because it's already won for us. Don't give up. When we grow tired, we got to remember where we're seated. Moses went to a high place. He knew where to be seated so that his banner would shine so that all would see. He went to a high place. Well, guess what? In Christ Jesus, God our Father has raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And in the ages to come, that he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in kindness towards us through Jesus Christ. We are seated in heavenly places. See, vantage point in a battle is very important. The people on the ground could not see what was happening. Moses is the one who could see. Moses is the one who said, well, when I keep this really high, when I keep looking up at the banner, when I keep saying, yes, Lord, this is the rod of God, this is the power of the presence and and the authority of God, I'm holding it high. But guess what? His arms got tired and tired and more tired, and his arms began to fall. His vantage point, he was the only one that could see that when he got tired, the enemy was, was winning. People on the ground couldn't see it. They're busy fighting. (laughs) But people on the ground could see what was happening on the hill. When the banner is held high, what does it say? We're winning! We're winning! And when it starts to fall, what are the people on the ground doing? (laughs) Oh no, we must not be winning. (laughs) It changed the way the people on the ground, the citizens of Israel, would fall into fear. And what happens to the enemy? He says, aha, I'm winning. I'm winning. Okay? Vantage point is important. We have to see it from God's point of view. We've got to see that the battle's already won. We've got to see that even if we grow tired, God's going to send us somebody to help us. You see, that's what happens here. That's what happens here. He got tired. He couldn't hold it up anymore. I don't know how long the battle took. I can't imagine holding it up all day. Maybe he did. But he got tired. And so God sent him someone to come alongside and hold up his arms and give him a place to sit. Sometimes when we grow tired, that's what we've got to do. We've got to ask for help. If you're not winning in your battle, do you have a prayer partner? It's like, I'm fighting a sickness. I'm fighting a poverty. I'm fighting marriage problems. I'm fighting... Who has come alongside? Now, God has given us the paraclete who will always help us hold up our arms. He has given us the Holy Spirit so that we don't have to grow weary in well-doing. We can keep looking to our banner. You see, that's the thing. If we keep looking to the banner and we keep looking to the cross and we keep looking to the victory, we will not grow tired. Now, in our natural, yeah, it happens from time to time. Readjust. Get the right vantage point. I sit in heavenly places. I rule and reign with Christ Jesus. And what is happening on the ground does not determine whether or not I'm winning. I determine in Christ Jesus, if I win. And if I hold on, sometimes we just have to outlast the enemy. He's a loser. He's defeated. It's just a matter of time. And verse 12 of Exodus 17 says, it continues on, Aaron held up one hand and her held up the other, and his hands remained steady until sunset. There have been places in my life where hard things came against me. Physically, I couldn't do it. 
Emotionally, I couldn't do it. Mentally, I couldn't do it. But my father never left me without help, without aid, without his presence, without his power, and without his people. So often what I needed was that that phone call that came out of nowhere. And back then we didn't have text messages. (laughs) A letter in the mail. Someone who at church would come up and just pray over me. When all I could do was cry. He never forsook me. He never left me on my own. I remember a time when my life was so broken that I said, God, I can't even pray. There is nothing left. Send somebody to pray for me. Somebody who was on a trip, probably six states away, finds where I'm at because I wasn't even at my home church. I was on a, on a business trip. And that person tracked me down, found me, and said, God says you need someone to pray for you. <laughs> That's our God. That's our Father. If you're in a hard place, you need the body of Christ to come around you. Let us hold up your arms. That's what Walter is about. Our altar slash Walter. (laughs) To let us help you stand up and hold up those arms and we'll declare with you, you can win because Christ already has. You can overcome because Christ already has. You may not feel strong today, but I will be strong for you. You may not be able to hold up your arms today. I will hold them up for you. That's what the body of Christ is for, to hold each other up and encourage each other that we, we are the winners. We do overcome. When we look to the cross, our banner, we can know without a shadow of a doubt, victory is already ours. Jesus has already defeated all the powers of the enemy when he defeated sin on the cross. And verse 13 says, And so Joshua defeated the Amalekite army in battle. It was all defeated because Moses put feet to his faith and raised his banner. Put feet to his faith and raised his banner. He declared, I will win. One of the things I want you to come away with today is that you have authority on this earth because you have a physical body. You see, Satan doesn't have power and authority over human beings. He doesn't. He has to trick it out of you. (laughs) He has to talk it out of you. Because we have a physical body, we can use our physical body to express our authority. That is very powerful. When I resist, I'm doing all the spiritual things, raising your hand in worship. For me, I'm saying this is the truth. This is true to me. This is who my God is. This is who I worship. I am declaring physically a spiritual reality. That's important. When you pray in the spirit, why do we pray in spirit out loud? I mean, you can pray in spirit in your head. But why is it that he calls us to pray in the Spirit out loud? We're exercising spiritual authority. We release the power of God when we put feet to our faith and do something physically. We're always going to win. Sometimes you just got to keep at it. You just got to keep at it. Just like Moses had to keep that raise up, you just keep at it. One of my favorite examples of of winning like this is dieting. (laughs) Okay, if you go on a diet, guess what? (laughs) if you just keep at it you win but what does he want you to do what does Satan want you to do don't keep at it it doesn't come at you as a big scary lion saying oh just give up it's just cheat a little bit today just cheat a little bit there just give in here just give in there 
it doesn't really matter. What are you doing? He is sneaking in like a sneaky snake, trying to take your victory away from you. He doesn't want you walking in all the power and authority and health that Jesus Christ wants for you. When I say, no, I'm not crossing that line. No, I'm not putting that in my mouth. Yes, I am going to exercise. (laughs) That's spiritual authority. We have to recognize it for what it is. It's spiritual authority. And when we just do whatever the flesh wants, then we're relinquishing our spiritual authority. That's how important it is to have a physical body on this earth because Satan has no power without a physical body. And the only way he can use it in our life is to get us to go along with him. Jesus Christ took all of our punishment. He became sin, and all sin was punished in his flesh at the cross. Justice was served. The guilty are now declared innocent because of the blood sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Jesus has done all the work that we could never do. Salvation is a work we can never do. We are no longer slaves. We no longer live in Egypt. We no longer live under the dominion of darkness and sin and Satan. We have been translated into the kingdom of the Son of His love. The banner over His people is love. The cross is the greatest picture of love that has ever existed. It is a banner that stands eternal. For God so loved the world that he gave us his only begotten son, that whosoever should believe in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. You know why Jesus could do this, though? Because he had a physical body. Jesus had to have spiritual authority on this earth to lay down his life. He couldn't save us without a physical body. That's the importance of you understanding that your members, your body, gives you authority on this earth. God has given mankind dominion. And he says, take it. Because if you don't take your dominion and authority, Satan will be happy to do that. We have to stand and resist. We have to use our spiritual authority. Jesus did that by laying down his life. 2 Corinthians 2.14 says this, Now thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ and making known through us the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. It doesn't say to triumph. Who always leads us in triumph. You see, that's the difference between trying to get something from God and knowing you've already got it and that you are pushing back the powers of the enemy. And you can do that by physically exerting your spiritual power. 1 Corinthians 15, 57 says this, But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Giveth. It's ours. 58. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, (laughs) always abounding in the work of the Lord. And what is the work of the Lord? To believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. (laughs) Always holding up that banner. For as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Why? Because we are going to apprehend. We are going to apprehend that which our Jesus has bought for us. When Moses was done with the battle, he declared, the Lord is my banner. He was saying, the Lord is my victory. Verse 15 says, Moses built an altar and he called it Yahweh Nisi, which means Yahweh is my banner. He said, because the hand was lifted against Yah's throne, Yahweh will be at war against the Amalekites from one generation to another. He's talking about the fact that the Amalekites represent Satan. And when Satan picks a fight with you, guess what? 
he's picking a fight with Jesus Christ. And Jesus never loses. In this particular scripture, Moses understood the Amalekites represented the, the, our enemy, Satan. And Satan is always trying to get God's throne in our life. And it's up to us whether or not he does. You see, those pesky Amalekites, they're going to show up from time to time with their big, scary, giant bodies <laughs> threatening us. But Yahweh, our God, wanted Joshua to remember, and he wants us to remember. They're already defeated. I've already declared their extinction. Joshua saw it that day. He participated in the victory that day. But he knew that that enemy would come again, that they weren't yet completely exterminated. They weren't exterminated until the time of David. But he says, what did you learn today? Write this down, he says. It's really a good idea to write down your victories. It's really a good idea to write down what God speaks to you. It's really a good idea. Why? Because you're going to need it. You're going to need to remind yourself, I've already won in Jesus Christ. Look what God did here, and look what God did here, and look what God did here. And when we look back and we see the list of victories, it's like raising the banner. The power, the presence, and the authority of my government still stands. And because my government still stands, so do I. I will not back down. I will not be defeated. 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 We have to decide. We have to stand up and say, I will not be defeated in this area of my life. I will have everything that my government has provided for me. What I want you to remember is we've been given all authority in Jesus Christ. Jesus said in Matthew 28, 18, Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and earth. How much power? Some? A little bit? Kind of a lot? <laughs> All power. All power is in Jesus Christ. And where is he? He's in us. We have to recognize our resources. We don't have some power. We don't have small power. We have all power in Jesus Christ. The flesh is weak sometimes, but if we keep on keeping on, just like with Aaron and her, we win. The staff that Moses had had no power in it. It was just a piece of wood. Moses was using this spiritual principle that we physically exercise spiritual power. The truth is, there's no power in the wood of the cross. The wood didn't do anything. But what happened on that wood changed everything. Jesus was a physical man with spiritual authority who contained the innocent blood of God himself. Jesus had to exercise amazing spiritual authority by laying down his life. He had all power before he went to the cross. He could have called 10,000 angels. He didn't have to endure. But what kind of authority? He understood, I am exercising spiritual authority over the enemy by laying down my life. I am defeating the enemy by laying down my life. I am buying the salvation of the entire humanity by laying down my life, by doing something physical. I'm exercising spiritual dominion. My encouragement to you is to recognize that what we do with our members <laughs> is warfare. Romans 6.13 says this, Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those who are alive from the dead 
and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. And the word instruments can be correctly translated weapons. When we exercise our spiritual authority by doing the right thing, whether that's praying in the spirit or just standing and telling Satan to get lost. No, I'm not going to give in. No, I'm not going to do what you want me to. No, I will follow what the good Lord says to me. I will. When we physically exercise our spiritual authority, faith is released and power comes forth and miracles show up. But God's not going to move the water first. He says, you have to step in. You have to step out. You have to believe that all the power and presence and authority of God is inside of you. And nothing can keep you defeated. Let me pray for you. Father, I thank you that your word is true. That there is nothing that comes against us that we cannot overcome. You have given us spiritual dominion through physical bodies. We don't have to take lying down the wiles of the enemy. We don't have to listen to his threats. We don't have to listen to his lies. We have the ability to physically overcome every obstacle using our physical body by exercising our spiritual authority. When we lift high our banner, the cross of Jesus Christ, when we declare the victory in every situation, you show up. Father God, I ask that you would cause the same revelation that Moses got that day, that you are the victory, that you have provided everything we need, that you so loved us that you gave all you were, You used all of your authority and power to keep yourself on a cross that you didn't deserve to die on so that we could walk out into salvation. A free gift. You are the victory. And you, in your goodness and in your love and in your kindness, you have imparted to us by the Holy Spirit all power and authority and dominion. And you say to us, hold that banner high. Hold that banner high. Keep it ever before your eyes. Don't let Satan talk you out of what belongs to you. Don't let him come in like a roaring lion and don't let him come in like a sneaky snake. When we look at the giants, we can see what they really are. Powerless against the blood of Jesus Christ. Let us not give in to the whispering snake who tries to talk us out of what belongs to us. Let us hold high the banner. Let us declare to the enemy, we have all the power and authority and resources of heaven, and we have already won, and we cannot be defeated in Jesus Christ. Father, I ask that you would reveal to your children how to exercise their spiritual authority in their physical body, in whatever situation that is. Help them to always keep their eyes on the banner, on the victory, on you. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.